The obituary reads Ruth Tuck, 65, died yesterday of a lingering illness at University Hospital. Born September 15, 1921, in Charleston, South Carolina, to Austin and Eunora Whitehurst. Married Wendell Tuck, April 7, 1947. They were later divorced. Ruth is survived by two daughters, Arlene Summers, Los Angeles, Margaret Simpson, Salt Lake City. She will be missed by all those who knew her. My dear friends, we are gathered here today that we might fittingly recognize the end of a life upon this earth and to offer our gratitude to God for the presence among us of this beloved soul, Ruth Tuck. In these days of computerization, when it sometimes seems to us that life itself has become a number and the facts of someone's life and death are known as vital statistics, let us remind ourselves that life is more than that which occurs between a date of a birth and a date of death. And that we are gathered here today to bear witness that there is yet another set of facts to be remembered. And that is that no life can be fully and adequately described by any measure of time, be it minutes, hours, or years. Yes, well, um, by saying that our purpose well, I don't want to make to a headline type of thing out of this. Uh, um, I had driven in into town especially to see Ruth. I had just walked into the hospital room, and I don't think she was really very well taken care of. I, Well, I know that I didn't quite trust the nurses, and I used to be a nurse's aide myself, so, well... I don't want to sound prejudiced, but the the care and attention and even the love that a truly sick person receives in a Catholic hospital is, um, is a whole world apart from some of the others I know. So, well, and then, of course, when I saw her, oh, she was lying so still... And I thought first she was just staring in some sort of a unhappy or a dull mood. But then when I got closer to her, I, I noticed that her eyes were glassy. And then I reached out to touch her. And she was quite cold. Quite cold. And I was angered, terribly angered. Angered mostly because nobody had been there. Nobody had been with her that Ruth had had to die alone. Well, she uh, came into the hospital with uh, symptoms of lethargy and uh, obtundation, couldn't think well, and inability to eat well, and had been sick in bed. And it suddenly began to uh, pass blood in her rec, you know, in her stools, and. Uh, she, she was admitted severe complications from being so sick and pus problems and like diffuse alveolar damage which are uh, you know so she looked absolutely horrible and also some uh, renal failure developed, uh, 
an infection with a, a real of an bad kind of bacteria that's very hard to and kill. By, uh, a special very scan of the, the brain, organs, there was destroys an, them like, like an abscess in the brain too. Staph aureus. Staph became neurally impaired. It's a bad kind of bacteria to get. She got bruises all over her whole upper body. Her, her kidneys finally shut down in an unknown complication of, of fluid and, you know, growing bacteria. So she turned septic. very green and you knew her liver wasn't working and because they, their breath gets real bad. But uh, she uh, just didn't do well. Well, I didn't mind. I really didn't mind. I mean, yes, Rick has to work and, and we have children and and especially when she got sicker and sicker and, and needed constant care, that was hard. But I felt like it was my duty, it was a duty for me to take care of her. But she was in constant pain. And uh, so when it got to the point where she needed constant medication and so on, we, we had to make that decision to put her in the hospital. And... Uh, when she was younger, she just did so many things and was, and, and, for instance, she, she, see, my mother and I were very, very close. When, when I got married, I was pregnant, and my mother, she was just so open about it and, and supportive, and she took me to the doctor, she talked to me a lot, uh, she, as, as the pregnancy went along, she, um, uh, came over and helped me do things when I got tired. Um, she just took really, really good care of me. If I had it to do over, I don't think I would have put her in the hospital if I could have helped it. I would have done anything to have 24-hour care at our house. And But without somebody's help, some Arlene or my dad helping, there was just no way we could do that. And I hope... I hope that Arlene understands that, and I hope my father understands that. Well, it was an unceremonious affair. I'd gotten a lot of admissions, hadn't paid much attention to her, just because she was on autopilot, so to speak. All her drips were dripping at the appropriate rate of concentration of drug. And her ventilator was already on maximal settings and couldn't go up any higher anyway, so... Her pressors were on maximal settings. She was developing gangrene of her fingers and toes because there was no blood to them sort of mummified, dry gangrene. And uh, there wasn't anything else that could be done. In, not even little things. Her heart just finally failed altogether. Couldn't, couldn't keep up a cardiac output enough to even supply itself and began uh, having arrhythmias. And finally, after about five minutes of arrhythmias, just stopped altogether. She had no more pulse, turned off the ventilator, and that was it. She rolled her down to the morgue, put it in a plastic bag, and it goes into a refrigerator. And then the decision comes to whether or not an autopsy can be done or not. Last time I saw my mother was um, about Christmas time, a couple of years ago. I came back. Um, she was she was okay then, um, and I, I really came back with the intention of um, making good with her. I, I wanted to straighten out some things, but it, it didn't work. We just, for some reason, we just could not communicate. I, 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 I don't know, we just... <sighs> She's very careful about, about 
about things. He, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how I can express myself. Um, I'm here in my mom's house, and and she's not around anymore. And um, there'll be people coming over, and you know, condolences and all that sort of thing. And and I, I'm looking around for this, this, this punch bowl that that mom had. Um, and uh, well, maybe Margaret borrowed it for some some function of hers, but. She should have brought it back, and I can't find it, and I know exactly where Mom kept it. I mean, it's like there's this big empty space, and it makes me think that Margaret has been rummaging through here and has already taken things before I even had a chance to get back here. I mean, she's already decided what's hers and what's, you know, what isn't going to be mine, which irritates me. Uh, Ruth was a, uh, what I would call a typical old South lady. Uh... We went to a fine boarding school down here in one of the nicer colleges in the South. And most of the women, I would say, from her background and upbringing were somewhat content to join the local clubs and raise the family. But uh, Ruth was very torn between... Uh, whether she really wanted a career or she wanted to uh, be a housewife. Uh, I think this uh, caused her quite a few problems, and uh, I wouldn't want to get into the reasons why we separated, but that probably had something to do with that. Of course, I'm mighty, uh, mighty upset about this news. You know, Ruth and I was married. We were married uh, long, about 20 years, and that's a long time to uh, stay with a person. And obviously, you gotta be a little upset when something happens to them. And uh, I always wish her the best. So we wheeled her into the morgue and opened her up, and immediately found masses of tumor involving every abdominal organ extensively, liver and kidneys and even kidneys and adrenals and all over her, studying her peritoneal cavity and got into her chest cavity and found that she did indeed have masses of tumor involving both lungs, but that probably didn't kill her. And she did indeed have pneumonia, but it was patchy and minimal and that probably didn't kill her. But we did find that she had massive pulmonary emboli in her pulmonary arteries, main pulmonary arteries bilaterally, which is uh, lethal. So we took out samples of the organs and fixed them in special fixatives and put them in you know, sp special treatments and took small sections and stained them and looked at them under the microscope and took other sections and did other kinds of stains and looked at them under the electron microscope and defined the best we could all her states of illness and then wrote it in this document and filed it away. When we get a remains in, we uh, <clears throat> place it on the embalming table, uh, take all the clothing off of it and wash it down so that it is clean. Then the features are set such as the facial features, the eyes, the mouth, 
or it's closed. We have what they call an eye cap. It's a little plastic dome that fits under the eyelid that keeps the eyelid closed. We have a situation such as that that keeps the mouth closed so that the lips will not part after death because uh, after death the tissues dehydrate somewhat and will start to shrink. And if we don't have some method to control this, then they will part before the casket is closed and uh, renders an unsightly condition. And after all this is taken care of, then we actually begin the embalming process. And uh, we can, the two vessels that we use are laying side by side, just directly under the skin. The vein is known as the jugular vein. The artery is the carotid artery, which we can inject both up into the head and down into the main body of the, the individual from that point. We make a small incision pick up these two vessels, open them, the injection tube from the embalming machine goes into the artery. We open the vein for drainage. Upon that point we start our, our machine and it forces the embalming fluid through the circulatory system in the body, replacing the blood with formaldehyde. And uh, then we use what we call a trocar which is a, a oversized needle about a quarter of an inch in diameter, about 18 inches long. We perforate all the intestines, the organs, the cavities, and suck out all the fluids and uh, waste material that happen to be in there. After we get that all cleaned out, then we put in what we call cavity fluid. This is circulated all through the cavities, which uh, preserves the cavity itself. This uh, will conclude the uh, normal uh, embalming process. Let us pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. My mother loved to dance with my father, and she was she was a very trim woman, and, and she was able to wear very tailored suits very well. And but it was neat. She had blue eyes and dark hair, and they, her eyes would sparkle and sparkle. Or if she was angry, they could just they could just sear you, you know, with their iciness. And um, uh, she was always very tailored. She was terribly well dressed. I, I just love to see them together like that. It, at least there was a time in their lives when they were very, very happy with each other. And I like to hold on to that. The belief that Ruth now is where all things are new, where she's at one with God and united with those who have gone before her. Certainly that's the great promise of our Lord when he said, where I am, there ye shall be also. Somehow her perspective and her, her attitudes about life, about people, were so narrow-minded that we could never, we could never meet on a common ground. I mean, not that, not that one of us was right or one of us, one of us was wrong, it's just that there was no, there was no happy meeting. There was just, I don't know. All I know is that 
that we we never Help me now if you will by letting your minds dwell for a moment we never got it together on the qualities of character the soul qualities that Ruth possessed her goodness of heart the friendly spirit that moved in this world with ease and with graciousness her pride and her skill and her knowledge we took the train on a honeymoon went down to uh, Nassau, of course, there's no train running over to Nassau, but we took a train down to Florida and uh, got a plane over there to the, one of them islands over there, and uh, then we did a whole lot of traveling, went to New York and New Orleans, and uh, of course a lot of that was business travel, And uh, but uh, Ruth enjoyed those trips. She liked plants, too. She collected house plants. And that was it. One thing, I didn't care much about these trips because I always have to bring back about eight plants when we come back. And sometimes when you got a small room in the train, it got sort of full. Only in the physical sense. And so now I ask you to join with me in a prayer of thanksgiving to God that he has given Ruth life to us for lo these past 65 years let us pray she had this she had this charm bracelet I was trying to find and it was gold and it had um, all little trinkets from places that she'd been and things that she'd done um, oh there was this there was this little gold little 14 karat gold lobster from like New Orleans and I can't I can't find I can't find that bracelet I can't find that bracelet we praise thee that through the life death and resurrection of thy son our Lord Jesus Christ that has brought life and immortality to light and we thank thee for the life of the one who has been called away from this earthly existence into thy eternal home Toward the end, though, she, when she became more lonely, more and more lonely, withdrawn from the world, well, she lost her verve, her joy of living. She, well, she was sick and in great pain, I suppose, but bitter mostly. She felt that life was just too much for her, had been too much for her. Her daughters gone, just bitter, sad, lonely, and bitter. Having fought the good fight, having finished her course, and having kept the faith, wilt thou grant unto her the crown of life that fadeth not away? We pray for those whom she leaves behind, for her family and her friends. Uh, I'm just sort of leading a quiet life down here in Charleston, and uh, don't know whether I'm going to be able to get out to Salt Lake City, though, or not here the next day or two. I'd like to. Got a right big board meeting coming up here tomorrow, and uh, it's been planned for about six months. and. Uh, 
I've got my girl here in the office trying to call some of the folks to see if we can rearrange it, but I just don't know yet. Sort of don't like to fly much either, and that makes the time sort of hard to uh, to get out that quickly. All right, well, uh, now, uh, if you don't mind here, uh, hold on just a second. I think, uh, hold on just a second here now. Miss Llewellyn, who? Okay. Uh, Miss Llewellyn said I got a call coming in here from Miami. If you don't mind holding just a second, I'll be right back with And now may that peace which passeth all understanding be and abide in this place for this day and forevermore. World without end. Amen. We are going about uh, almost uh, 55 inches deep right now. Uh, the machine go in there and he take one bite out of that grave and I think sometime board it take me a long time to do that by hand. Uh, see beside Dick and Grace, we also cut uh, grass, water the grass, trimming around the headstones. You know, winter we have uh, snow to shovel, uh, path to clear, uh, area to clean for the people to stand. And uh, you see that you bury the people and you say they're dead and yet don't we believe into a resurrection. And that's the same with the trees in the spring. Those trees are just like a resurrected being, they're coming out in bed, and later on the, the leaves come out, and then, of course, the, the flowers come out, and whether the birds, the wonderful birds we got in here in the cemetery. Uh, weather, oh, I saw some bad weather here. I saw, I've been sending out here in, in snowstorms, in big thunderstorms, in lightning storms, and yet if the sun come out and everything is beautiful and it smells so good, it is a wonderful the, the, the beer. It feels real good. I, do, I like it. You've been listening to The Death of Ruth Tuck on Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. This story was a docudrama 
written and directed by Ken Larson, produced by myself for a series called New American Radio in 1986. So long ago, I've forgotten the names of the actors who played the family. The preacher, the doctor, the undertaker, and the grave digger were real, but I've forgotten their names as well, and I'm sorry about that. The main character, Ruth Tuck, was entirely fictional. It's a different kind of story than I usually play, but for Halloween I thought it would be appropriate, something from deep within the vault. This music is For Ways Requiem by the Cambridge King's College Choir. You might want to check out our website this week, homebrave.com, as we have a limited edition of Home of the Brave t-shirts for sale. I think they're going to go pretty fast as my daughter Alice hand-printed them, and they're pretty cool. The website again is homebrave.com. Thanks for listening, and take it easy. <laughs>